All right, so we're in week four of our series from this day forward. And uh, when we came up with an idea for a, a, a video leading into it, we thought, man, for many of us, I, I wonder if we wish we could go back. If we could go back to that day, we made a, a commitment to someone, if we're married, that we made a, a covenant uh, to do those things, that in sickness and in health, uh, good times, bad times, from that day forward, we were going to move forward together with our spouse. And, and, and I understand that that hasn't always happened. I understand that. And I know that divorce is a real thing, and I know that. Um, but I wonder if, I wonder if you are married, if you one day want to be married, I wonder if from this day forward we could move together into these commitments we've been talking about. And as we've been talking about marriage, uh, I understand everyone has an opinion about marriage. Uh, you can look up quotes of people and, and what they've said about marriage, and there's just hundreds. Well, I found some kind of funny ones, and so I thought we'd look at a, a few of these together. Uh, here's the first one. It says, being married is like having a best friend who doesn't remember anything you say. <laughs> these will be targeted more towards the men, but that's okay. Um, here's another one. It says, marriage, where one person is always right and the other is the husband. <laughs> good things to remember. Uh, a husband is someone who, after taking the trash out, gives the impression he just cleaned the whole house. I'll claim uh, this one for myself. And then this one's a little more serious. Uh, we've been married 20 years, and it feels like 20 minutes underwater. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, and we've talked about this. Uh, getting married is easy. Having a wedding, as long as you can find someone to do it, do it with you, to, ha to uh, have a wedding and, and be married, uh, it's easy. But to be married is difficult. And so there are those times, right, man, it feels like it's only been um, 20, 20 years, 30 years, but it's been, it's been difficult. And I started thinking about this, and I thought, man, some of you may not feel like you're underwater, but you feel like you're in the lifeboat. And you're just kind of holding on. You're, you're just trying to survive. The, the sharks are, are circling, and you're thinking, man, the end is, is near. And so maybe that's the feeling you have today with your marriage, if you are married. Uh, but here's the vision I had this week, is a marriage more in the sense of being on a sailboat, in the sense of um, working together, being uh, on the same team, that, that it would be difficult to do alone, that you need one another, that even when the waves come and the winds come, if you manage it right, it's a beautiful thing. So the hope is if you feel like you're underwater, that, that will bring you up out of the water. If you feel like you're in a lifeboat, that maybe we could put you back on the sailboat and that marriages could actually thrive. That it is possible. And I know this has been a difficult series for many people and uh, I'm aware of that. Um, last week maybe was the most difficult if you're not married. Uh, that was pretty heavy on marriage. Uh, today is totally for everybody. Uh, whether you're 13 or 103, whether you're uh, single and just wish someone would date you, uh, whether you're married divorced, widowed, I, I truly believe that this message today applies to every single one of us. Um, as we head forward, let, let's recap um, where we've been. Let's recap where we've been. Uh, week one, we said, if we're going to do this, if we're going to commit to one another, if we're going to move forward and have the best marriage we can, that we're going to have to seek God. We talked about the Jerry Maguire um, quote, you complete me. And as long as you're looking for someone to satisfy every need that you have, to make you completely happy, you'll be let down. You'll be let down. And so we said, look, that person needs to become number two, and we really need to seek God as our one. 
And so we do that by praying alone. We seek God fully by ourselves. But even as a couple, as a family, maybe you don't have that completely. Maybe with a group of friends that you're seeking God. Uh, week two, we said, look, you're going to fight. Uh, two broken people living together, uh, you're going to fight. And so how can we learn to fight fair? And we talked about that. Uh, last week, we talked about having fun and the importance of actually enjoying one another. Uh, I did challenge you and say, look, if you're not married, if you have kids, that should be important to you as well, your friends. Like, having fun in life is a good thing. And so in your marriage, you have to figure out how to have fun. Uh, today, the topic is stay pure. Next week, we're going to look at the idea of never give up. Uh, after we finish this series, we're going to start a series called More Than, More Than, just so you know where we're headed. Uh, more than a prayer, more than a song, and more than a building. So we'll go two more weeks uh, with this series, and then we'll head into that one. Uh, it's interesting to me as we talk about people having opinions on marriage, um, that people still want to get married. It is. There's often this negative uh, feeling of marriage, uh, but in a recent survey of college students, 90% of those asked said they want to get married. 90%, even from what they've seen, and those students probably are coming from a lot of divorced families just because of the, the demographic and what we look at in statistics. They still want to get married. But it's really, really interesting to me that in the 1960s, that almost 60% of 18 to 29-year-olds were married. Now only 20% of 18 to 29-year-old married. So we're, we're waiting. The, the idea of marriage is great, but for some reason, and there's lots of reasons behind it, but, but it's waiting to, to make it happen. And I wonder what that is. Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it past? Is it what you've seen? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But, but my hope is that through this, uh, these last three or four weeks and these uh, days to come, that, that we will commit to one another to do this. That we will give our kids, if you're married, if you have small children, that we will give a beautiful picture to our kids of what marriage could be like. Because God has ordained it and he says it's good. Well, we've got to get back to that. That marriage is actually created by God and it's a good thing. Right? We talked about last week that, that Adam has been created and kind of in this first marriage ceremony, uh, God creates woman Eve and brings her to Adam and says, look, I'm giving her to you. This flesh of your flesh. And then there's this moment where, where Adam makes this statement that they're going to become one flesh, that they'll be united together. Right? We, we looked at this picture last week and we said it's this picture of being glued to one another. That the picture is that it will never be separated. But, as we know, sometimes things slip in between this. Things that don't belong, things that shouldn't be there, things get in the way, and it makes it hard. Things have happened in your life, in your relationships, whether you're single, married, that things have happened. And, and the idea of staying pure seems somewhat difficult. And something has slipped into this, and there's a lot of baggage. And maybe you feel like it's impossible to make it through that. But, but let me tell you this, that nothing is impossible with God. Is it hard? Yes. Is it going to be hard? Extremely. But, but it doesn't mean it's impossible to get through it. I've seen several marriages survive things. I've seen marriages not just survive things, but even thrive after them. And so what I'm going to talk about today is much more than just adultery. 
history, much more than just a fair, but it's going to go way deeper than those things. It's going to be much more a matter of the heart. And what I know is that this often happens very subtly, that it always doesn't happen in these big waves, that sometimes it's something very small that gets us off track. And when I lived in California, I would drive down to L.A., it was about a four-hour drive to get to L.A., and the guy I would go with, we would always get lost, always. So we would always end up in the wrong place, and we would never be able to find where we were headed. Our destination seemed like it was going to be impossible to find, so we'd always have to get off and ask people for directions. And then, in 2005, Garmin came out with this thing, this GPS that you could put in your car, and it would actually help you find your destination. So you'd plug in where you were headed, and then you would tell you which way to go. But somehow, I would still often make a wrong turn. I don't know if you ever had a, a GPS, but if you've had a GPS, what does it say? Do you know? Recalculating. So you'd make the wrong turn, a, a turn, and this woman would come over, and it would say recalculating. We think British accents are great, and so we would often have it on the British accent. And so it would say recalculating. Recalculating. Make a U-turn whenever possible. Right? And, then, and then the iPhone came out with their own system, and so it was always with you that wherever you wanted to go, you always had directions to get there. But what I know is it, it just didn't happen in the big ways. It was one wrong turn and then another wrong turn. And often these wrong turns gets us into a place where we don't want to be. So maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you've just veered off a little bit from where you're trying to head. You know the destination, and that destination we're going to talk about is this idea of being pure Maybe something's gotten in the way and it's got you off course just a little bit. Or maybe it was off course just a little bit, but over time it's gotten you far away. So today the goal is, okay, let's recalculate. Let's make a U-turn as soon as possible. Let's get back on track where God is leading us. And so as we do this, I want to take a few moments and I want to look at an account we see Jesus have with this woman. It's found in John 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. We'd love for you to take. That's our our gift to you. Uh, But we're going to look at a story in John 8. And so this is going to be the foundation uh, where we head forward. Because I already know as we begin to talk about this, all kinds of emotions are stirring, uh, either because of what you've encountered or because of what's been um, done to you or what's been done to someone you love. And so we want to look at Jesus' response to um, a situation. John 8. It says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. So let's just pause for a second. Um, They caught her in the act. This is not a, we've heard this about this woman. We think that this is the lifestyle she lives. She was caught in the act. There was no denying what she had done. And she's brought to Jesus. We're going to see this in a minute. And if she was caught in the act of adultery, I doubt these kind people who were trying to trap Jesus allowed her to get dressed or to cover herself up. So picture this woman caught in the act of adultery, naked, vulnerable, afraid, full of shame, is going to be brought to Jesus. 
says they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We could spend a lot of time with, with that, but, but let's keep going. It says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, naked, vulnerable, afraid, full of shame. I wonder if she knew who Jesus was. Had she heard of him? Was she standing there face to face? And my um, interpretation is I, I wonder if she's looked up the whole time. Jesus straightened up and asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And this is it right here. Jesus responds, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declares, go now and leave your life of sin. Can you get this picture? Can you get this picture of Jesus? I don't know what you view Jesus as. I don't know your opinion of him. I don't know if he's uh, someone who's there to, to kind of beat people up religiously and make people feel really bad. But, but this woman is brought to Jesus at the lowest of lows. And I get this picture of Jesus raising her chin and eye to eye has this interaction with this woman. He says, look, I, I'm offering you grace and forgiveness. I'm giving it to you. And then he says, go and, and, and leave this life of of sin. I want to pull something out really quick. I think there's a few ways that we can kind of get the, the idea of following Jesus wrong. And one way is we'd be very legalistic. So we would only hold on to the last statement that Jesus says, right? Go and don't do this anymore. If you, if you don't do it anymore, everything's okay. Life will go well. Even the Pharisees, these guys who bring her and, and trap her, are very legalistic. Look, she's done wrong. She's been caught in the act. It's, it's no questioning. But then Jesus responds and says, okay, that, that's true, but, but if, you, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. So he's going to put it back on them, their, their legalism. And so for some of us and some of you, you've grown up in the church and you've thought, All right, I just check the boxes of the right and wrong things. If I just do what I'm supposed to, then everything is fine. But you miss the first part where Jesus knows she's done wrong, and even before he says to don't do it anymore, he says, look, I don't condemn you. I'm giving you grace and forgiveness. So we can even swing the pendulum the other way and say, well, well God loves me no matter what. And he does, but, but what we often add to that is that he, he, he doesn't care what I do. That he loves me so much, I can do whatever I want, and it really doesn't matter. And so we give license to it. And we make grace really cheap, actually. And so we, we either err with license or we err with being legalistic. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, takes them both and, and meshes them together. And he says, yes, you are completely wrong. There's no denying it. But I give you grace. I give you grace. And not only do I give you grace, but I want something better for you in the future. Don't do it anymore. But leave the life of sin that you've been living. Why? My thought is that Jesus loves this woman. 
My thought is that Jesus wants the best for this lady, that she was created more for than the life that she's living. So Jesus looks at her eye to eye. Probably no one's done that. Who knows how long? He looks at her in the eyes and says, I forgive you. Here's grace. Now, what if you lived your life differently? So, so as we move forward this, this morning, and all these emotions, and all these things stirring in you, will we, will we grasp on to that? That I, I truly believe that, that Jesus would raise your chin and look at you and say, look, grace is for you. But, but, but what if? It's almost like Jesus is saying, from this day forward, look, woman, from this day forward, commit to this. Commit to staying pure. What if? What, what if that was actually possible? And I see that purity is a big deal to Jesus. That grace is a big deal, but also that purity is a big deal to what Jesus wants for this woman. And so then we also see it with a guy named Paul. So Jesus lays this foundation. He knows this woman has done wrong, but, but offers grace and forgiveness. And then gives her this idea of a new life. And then we have Paul. Paul's a guy who hated Christians, uh, becomes one, plants uh, churches, writes them letters, and then we have this. He writes it to a church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, 3. So you may be here today and say, oh great, I- I've never done anything like the woman caught in adultery. Whew, that's good. But, but then we hear what Paul says. Ephesians 5, verse 3 says this. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So who Paul is talking to here are followers of Jesus. So if you're here today, you would say, you know what, I'm not. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Um, This isn't necessarily directly for you. I mean, I'd love for this to be for you. I, I believe that Paul's instructions would be for you, but Paul is writing specifically to those who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Paul says this, that there shouldn't even be a hint of it. Like we know the big things, we know the things that are really wrong, but Paul says there shouldn't be a hint, not even just a little bit, no, no playing around with it. It's not, it's not something to be toyed with. And that Paul, I would think, would say, look, this isn't just this outward purity that he's talking about, but it's also this inward purity, this matter of the heart. We see the wrong in the outward, but what about the inward purity? So Paul says, among you, there should not even be a hint. And why not even just a hint? Well, we talked earlier that it doesn't take much to get us off course. It can be something very small that leads us astray, and so Paul says, don't, don't even give a hit to it, because it's deadly, it's destructive, it's damaging, it's hurtful. Uh, several years ago, I went out into my garage, and when I step out of my garage, there's a door to the right, and there was this big gap at the door to the right, and I don't know why, but I look over, and I see the backside of what I can only imagine to be a rat. And so I see this, I see this thing around the room. I thought, did I, did I just see that? Did that really just happen? And so I, I go and I buy a mouse trap. Now that was my first mistake because it was definitely not a mouse. 
And so I buy a mousetrap and I put it in the garage and I put a little cheese on there and I go inside and literally 20, 30 seconds later, I hear it. I think, oh, that was, that was quick. That was good. And so I walk outside, mousetrap there, no rat. I'm thinking, well, that's not going to work. And so I go back to the store and I get the sticky mousetrap. And I put several sticky mousetraps everywhere where I think this rat could go. And so I go inside, I wait a little while and I look out. And the sticky trap is gone. <laughs> this mouse gets on the trap and somehow hobbles and pulls himself back outside. And I realize I follow where I think this mouse may go. And we have this hole underneath our concrete pad. And I realize that this mouse, this rat, has been living underneath there. And over by this hole is the sticky trap, right? And this rat had pulled himself off of the sticky trap, right? And so I bought these big rat traps, and I have still yet to catch this rat. Now, here, here's the thing. I should just put poison out, right? I should just put poison out because even just a little bit of poison would be deadly. would be deadly. But I have kids. I have dogs. And so my thought is if I go to the extreme and I put out poison, it's dangerous and it's hurtful. But I know what would happen. I know that it would end the problem. And so I think for us, sometimes with purity, we play around with it. And we think, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. And the trap kind of hits us, and we pull ourselves away, and we think, oh, we're okay. I'm not really that damaged. We get stuck, and we feel trapped, and we pull ourselves away, and we think, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. But, but what if we begin to see it, as Paul says, even a hint of it is deadly. It's deadly. It's like this poison that literally, I believe, can ruin relationships, ruin them. But, but I believe there's hope. So if you are stuck right now, if you feel like you are caught in the trap, it's not final. Your life isn't over. I, I do believe that there is hope. But I want you to understand that it's dangerous. And again, the most dangerous part is when we begin to say, well, it's really no big deal. And there's lots of reasons that we have gotten to the point where we say it's really no big deal. Uh, our culture, entertainment, it tells us it's no big deal. And the number one movie out right now is a, is a movie based on the lies of sex, abuse, and violence. And it made $85 million opening weekend. It sold over 100 million books. It's hurtful. But we just kind of say, ah, it's just a movie. It's not real life. It's just entertainment. I'm not a prude. And we say it's no big deal, but it's destructive. And so my, my wife and I, we just have uh, a couple of rules. And one of the rules is we, before we rent movies, we always check them out uh, online. Look, I'm 34 years old, but I'm still looking up movies to see what's in them. And, and we have to make the tough decision sometimes on a movie that sounds really good, but if there's something in it that we feel like we don't want in our home, then we just don't watch it. Because I don't want even a hint of it around me. I don't want to play with it. It's not something to be a play, played around with. And so maybe it's the magazines read. Heck, you don't even have to own the magazines. All you have to do is be at a checkout. Right, and you see them. It's in front of us all the time. The websites you go to, the websites you go to that have ads for other websites that really aren't that big of a deal, are they? 
but, but it's dangerous. And, and one choice, and it begins to lead us astray. And then the big one, and, and um, the one that I think is really damaging is pornography. Look, we're going to be a church that, that talks about this kind of stuff. We're not going to be afraid of, of talking about the issues that we need to talk about. And, and the, the way pornography is, is destroying people's hearts, first of all. It's destroying relationships, but, but let's look at the inward first and how it destroys hearts. It's like, Jesus, again, if that's you, he, he's raising your, your chin today and says, look, I, I, I don't condemn you. I'm, grace is there for you, but, but let, let's see if we can do life differently because pornography is damaging and it affects true intimacy if you've heard of sex trafficking we know that young girls are being um, taken some people are giving their girls up to this for different reasons they're being forced to do horrible horrible things and in my research almost always pornography and sex trafficking go hand in hand it's destroying people's lives who are being made to do it as well. It's impacting marriages, it's impacting jobs, and more importantly, and hold on to this with me and, and stay with me, it's impacting our kids. It's impacting our children, and, and, and they used to say, you know, not that long ago, 11 to 13 was kind of the first time that our kids would be exposed to this, but now they're saying it's 8 to 11. 8 to, that's my daughter, 8 to 11, because, you know, used to, it was, it was hard to get, you had to find it. Now it's just, it's, it's on this. It's on a phone. It's done completely in secret. Nobody has to ever know. And that's part of the lie that we believe, that it is really no big deal. You know, statistics are what they are, and you can take them for what they're worth. But they say kids who have an email account, which not a lot do, but if, if they do, um, they say that 47% of those kids will get a pornographic spam email every day. These kids don't know what it is, children don't know what it is, and so they click it. And they also say most of the ki- these kids aren't seeking it out. It's by accident. They stumble upon it. And so if you're a parent of a teenager, of a child, of a, little, a littler kid, would you be aware of this? And, and I want to give you just a few things, just really, really quick. Uh, one, will you face your denial Will you face the denial that you would say, not my kid? My, my kid doesn't struggle with that. I, I know. Do you? Do you? Um, avoid shaming. This is a huge one. Uh, what if, what if today, what if today we said, look, if, if, my, if my kid came to me, I made it available to come to me, the first thing that I would not do is to go to punishment. We wouldn't punish our kids for them coming to us and saying, I've seen this, I'm afraid of what I've seen. Maybe they're older and they would come to you and say they're addicted to it. What, what if shame wasn't the first thing we went to? What if telling them that they're dirty and messed up? What if condemnation? What if judgment? What if that's not the first thing we went to? What, what if we acted Jesus out to our kids? And we grabbed them and we held them and we said we loved them and we helped them. I've worked with students long enough, and I know a lot of students who have struggled with this. They're afraid of coming forward. They're afraid of what might happen. What if today we didn't turn to shaming? Understand that there's no quick fix. This is something that could be long-term if, if you do specifically have 
uh, a child that is struggling with this. Um, someone's helped me a little bit with this. We need to stop having the talk with our kids. Now listen to me, this is what I mean by that. Uh, some of you need to quit avoiding the talk with your kids, uh, but you need to stop having the talk. We need to have lots of talks with our kids. We need to have lots of conversations about sexuality with our children. We need to have those open conversations with our kids. What if? What if we could have those conversations with our kids and help them feel safe, that we'd protect them, that we'd guard their hearts, that we'd help them? Look, some of you, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a spouse. Men and women both struggle with this. What, what if there was grace? What if there was help? What, what if we believe that God's goodness and his grace could even uh, pour out over this and that, that tomorrow could look different from this day forward? I don't, I don't know what it's look like, but, but what if we said from this day forward that we're going to commit to one another, we're going to commit to do this together? Paul says not even a hint, not, not even a little bit. It's, it's poison. It leads us astray. And so as I share this, some of us might be like, that's good. I, I'm not on that list. I'm, I'm okay. But, but, but what about this? What, what other things we don't think are really that big of a deal? It's, it's kind of the flirting online. It's the old high school fling that we've connected to through Facebook that we have conversations with. It's really not a big deal. Uh, parents, if you don't know about sexting, you, you need to. Uh, you need to find out what that is about and have conversations with your kids. If your kids have a Snapchat, you need to have a conversation with your kids. Sorry, guys, but they do. Um, You need to have those conversations. Um, We see the outward things, but what about the inward things? What about the things that happen in our hearts and our minds that nobody knows about? The issues with lust. When we take someone and we make them an object. What about that? That's a problem, and Paul would say, don't even give into that. Don't let there be a hint of it. This is Paul's instructions to a group in uh, Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This word flee, uh, Paul doesn't hold back. You only flee from something that's causing danger to you. So Paul again is saying, look, this is serious. This is not something to play around with. You should flee from it. You should escape from it. You should seek safety. You should do that now. Jesus also talks about how important this is in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Uh, This is uh, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has just a few moments where he says, look, I'm going to really talk about what some of the most important things are, and this is one of them. Verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, uh, not having sex with someone who you're not married to, whatever that looks like. It says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so Jesus is really taking everything away from these legalistic people and saying, you think because your outward appearance is clean that your inward heart is clean. And, and Jesus is going to say it's not, not true. Jesus is going to say what, what you do with your eyes also 
matter. And this is his suggestion, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I'm thankful, and my interpretation in a lot of my reading is Jesus didn't really mean that, thankfully. Uh, But this is what I think Jesus is saying, is we should deal, deal severely with this. So Paul says, don't let there even be a hint, and Jesus says, remove anything that's going to cause you to go down this path. Get rid of it. Now, don't, don't, don't play around with it. And I know this is written to men, but this is both men and women. This is both. This is serious. This is serious. As I said earlier, whether you're 13 or you're 103, the idea of pursuing purity is a big deal for us, especially if you claim to follow Jesus. But let me say this. It's not easy. It's hard. It is hard. It's hard work. You have to actually care and work towards pursuing purity. This guy named David. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've heard stories. You've heard the story of David and Goliath. And this is the David that I'm going to talk about. David becomes king. And uh, we have a story about David. It's found in 1 Samuel 11. Um, I'm going to read just the beginning, and then I'll let you know what, what happens. 1 Samuel 11. Two and three. It says this. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Now, this is just my thought, and I'm going to read completely into this. So this is just what I'm, I'm thinking. I'm wondering if David knew that she did this. Like, did it start that David was inside, and he thought he heard water running did he hear someone bathing the first time and he thought hmm, that's interesting and then the next night did he kind of peek and see a woman move towards the area of taking a bath and then finally he says look i'm just gonna go walk around the the roof david gets up there and he sees this woman bathing and she's beautiful and david basically says i have to have that And so he sends his servants, and so this is what happened. David sends his servants over, and she comes over, and they sleep together. Word comes back to David that she's pregnant. Now, here's the trouble. She was married, and her husband was off at war. And so David thinks, oh man, I've got to get him home. And so he sends for him to come home and basically says, look, enjoy your wife. War has been tough. Enjoy time with her. And he says, no, I can't do it because my fellow soldiers are out at war They're about to lose their life. There's no way I can enjoy my wife. And he sleeps outside the home. David's like, well, that didn't go as planned. Here, here's a note. Uh, Go back to war. And the note says to the the leader of the army, put him on the front line. He basically says, make sure he doesn't come back. He dies, and Bathsheba becomes David's wife. Now, that escalates quickly. Right? It goes from just seeing her going into the bath to then having to take the life of another person. This is David. This is David who is said is a man after God's heart. It's hard. It's hard. I wonder, did, did David have people around him who were like, no, 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 don't do this. This is not going to end well. Did he care? 
Paul says, don't even let there be a hint of it. Jesus says, if there's anything that's going to cause you to stumble, get rid of it. And David runs after it and causes all kinds of destruction for people. Now, now get this, okay? Let's go to Psalm 119. So David writes a lot of the Psalms, and this is what David writes. How could a young man keep his way pure? This is David, who we just heard the story of. David's prayer to God is, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's hard. It's difficult. It says this, by living according to your word. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So David knows what's happened, and this is becoming who he wants to be. So just really, really quickly, three things I want to encourage you to do today. First of all, uh, the whole moment that Jesus sees this woman caught in adultery, uh, I don't know what that does to you. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Uh, I hope that today you hear me say that God's grace is available to you no matter what your story looks like. So it may not be adultery, but it might be something else. Right? We can just change the issue and put something else in, and Jesus still comes to us, raises our chin, and says, grace is available to you. Right? And so if you've never believed that, you've never accepted that, I want you to hear me say today, that's available to you. If you have questions about that, let's talk. But, but that's available. And so, but, but here's what David is going to suggest we do, and this comes from that Psalm 119. He says this, live according to his word. If you go back to that scripture, live according to his word. He says there in the beginning, how can I be pure? Well, I'll live according to your word. I'll do what it says. God uh, gives us this, he becomes our GPS. He's the one that's going to say, here, this is what you should do. We get off course. This is recalculating. We have to begin to see that Jesus' word, that this is not just a book, right, but it's instructions for us to live life differently. So David says that we live according to his word. Then, number two, to seek God. That's what we talked about week one. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back. But you'll need help in doing this. Look, you're not going to just decide to be strong enough. Pursuing purity means that you pursue God and begin to trust and pray that he'll help you do that. And then the third thing is to desire God's standards. To not let us stray from his commands. That we really believe that God has our best in mind. That, that he wants to give us life and he wants to give it to us in the fullest. This is what David, who messed up, is saying. This is how you pursue purity. You do those things. And then I'll leave you with this as an action step. Um, we, we talked about this a lot lately in 1 John 1, uh, 8 and 9. It talks about confessing our sins. It says if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So whatever you've done, whatever you look like, whatever's gotten in the way of that, of being pure, this is confess it to him. And then there's this forgiveness of sins and he purifies us again. That's hope that we have. That's hope that I cling to personally. But then there's this one in James 5, 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? So if there's something in your life that you've been holding on to that nobody knows about, you believe that God's forgiven you, but you kind of still hold on to it, you're still struggling, 
James, the brother of Jesus, says, find someone you can trust. Tell someone your struggles. Tell someone what you've been dealing with. And healing comes from that. So not only does God want to purify us, not only does God want to give us grace and forgiveness, but I think God wants us to be healed and whole. And I believe that can happen. So from this day forward, these commitments we're holding on to, this one is for all of us. All of us. That we are going to commit, you're going to have to choose to commit from this day forward to stay pure with the help of God. Would you pray with me? God, thanks today for um, your grace. Thanks for helping me uh, personally experience what it means to be healed and whole. That I know that you love me, that you know me, and you still love me. And so God, would you help us, uh, those of us who are married, would you help us to, to continue to pursue purity, uh, even in our married life? Uh, would you help our kids, Lord? Would you protect them? Would you protect their hearts and their minds? Would you guard against the enemy that wants to enslave our kids to something that is so destructful? Uh, would you help our parents um, to be full of grace? Would you give our kids courage to come to their parents? But would you help our parents know the words to say? Would you help them to hug and embrace our, our children and to love them well and to offer grace and forgiveness and then to move forward with them? And God, I pray for our singles. I pray for our singles who think one day they'll turn to this and be pure. Uh, would you help them to, to fight the battle well now, to, to pursue purity and to stay pure, even as young teenagers, as um, young people who are yet to be married, those who aren't married and older. Would you help all of us to run after purity? We can only do this, God, with your help, and we need it today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. Love you guys.